And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Oscar goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 195 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.05 a.m. on May 24th, 2020. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone out there that is listening. Hope you're staying healthy and safe during this time, as always. Here to join me this week to talk about lots of news that is going down within the film industry, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Dan Baer. Good morning. And Tom O'Brien. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Yes, absolutely. So, quick rundown of what we're going to be talking about this week here. Uh, HBO Max is launching this week. Uh, Warner Brothers in general had a very big week with the release of Christopher Nolan's uh, Tenet. uh, Got a second trailer uh, that was released via Fortnite. Uh, So that was very interesting. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also be talking about um, something called Released at Snyder Cut. Uh, we'll also be t- uh, talking about some news that uh, dropped this week as it pertains to uh, acquisitions, new release dates, as the uh, film industry keeps on reacting to COVID-19, including the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences themselves, or are they? <laughs> That's still kind of unclear to some of us at the moment. Uh, we're going to be talking about two new trailers this week from Netflix for The Old Guard and The Five Bloods new Spike Lee joint. We're also going to be going over the polls, which pertains to a certain filmmaker that the internet is obsessed with. And we're going to answer your fan questions here today as well. But first and foremost, to get us started here, Michael, what have you been watching this week? Anything good? You know, last week I said I didn't watch any movies and that continued into this week as well. I didn't see any new films. I've just been, you know, back on the TV uh, thing again. I'm still watching Defending Jacob on Apple TV Plus, which I think is very engaging. Some great performances there. And uh, Mrs. America is uh, about to wrap up. I'll save my comments for our wrap up podcast this coming week. But uh, yeah, just back on the TV front. There's some really good stuff. All right. Cool beans. Dan Bear, what about yourself? Um, well, so what have I watched this week? Um, I started watching the great on hulu which is lives up to its title frankly um it is so much fun and the production design and costumes are just delicious um i'm really 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 enjoying that as michael said mrs america is gonna wrap up this week and i'm couldn't be more excited that show has been just top notch from episode one um Movie-wise, um, well, we wa- I watched The Lovebirds. That was a thing that happened. <laughs> that was a movie that I saw. Um, and I did... Uh, I watched a couple of things um, as uh, research for something I'm writing. Uh, I watched 
to uh, movies from the 90s, um, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, which is one of Ang Lee's first big successes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And which is delightful. And also Big Night um, with Stanley Tucci and uh, Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. Wonderful film. Yeah. Really, really enjoyable. Um, sad to think that Stanley Tucci has not written or directed anything since then. Um, because there's some really great stuff there. Yeah. Don't go in hungry. <laughs> I seriously, oh my God, that food in that movie. That movie and Chef, wow. the ultimate double feature on a night of cooking. <laughs> or you can do Big Night and Julie and Julia for Stanley Tucci food yes. movies. Oh, I like that even more. Much better. Nice. Awesome. Josh, what about yourself? Well, this week I feel like I've actually been slacking a little bit. I haven't really gotten to as many movies that I usually like to. I think a part of that is because I have also been watching uh, The Great throughout the week. And I don't know if I like it quite as much as you, Dan, but it is very, very enjoyable. And both Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt are fantastic, and particularly Nicholas Holt. I think that this is the best performance he's ever given his career. I think he's amazing in it. Um, but in terms of movies, the only thing that I really saw was that uh, it's not a new movie, but it's a movie that I had not ever seen before. And it was a blind spot that I wanted to finally take care of. And I finally, for the first time, saw Jerry Maguire. Wow. Yeah, uh-huh. I had never had never seen it before. It, and I figured oh, now's a good time to finally do it. And I did like it. I think the movie is a little messy and kind of all over the place, but it is very charming. I think Tom Cruise in it is also giving what is probably his best performance as well. And it's it's definitely one of his best. Yeah, it, it has a lot of charm to it. I don't know if it all holds together the complete runtime of the movie, which is almost like two hours and 20 minutes. But overall, it was a very fun movie that I'm finally glad to have crossed off the list of blind spots that I have. There were two things that always come to my mind when I think of Jerry Maguire, and that is the part where he's in the office and he's like, I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do, which is flip out. And he like flails <laughs> his arms when he delivers that line. It's like the most bizarre line reading. Um, he's like really channeling Nicolas Cage territory there. <laughs> and then uh, the other thing I always think of, it's another bit of physical acting from Tom, is when he's in the shower with Cuba Gooding Jr. And yeah. he gives him this passionate plea um, and... And Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, it, like, shoots him down. Tom Cruise is like, fine, fine. And he does, like, this kick move. Um, he, like, kicks his foot. I, 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 it's just, like, Tom is, like, really going hard on that performance in certain scenes. <laughs> and it's very enjoyable to watch, I have to say. And he's doing it for a romantic comedy. I think that's what's even more impressive about it. Yeah. It's not like Born on the Fourth of July where it's this very serious, dramatic performance. It's like, no, he's giving it his all for just sort of a regular dude having a normal like breakdown <laughs> and it's it's very fun yeah if it wasn't for jeffrey russian shine if only <laughs> that's supporting performance yep <laughs> all righty really cool tom o'brien uh i actually did, did a lot of catch-up this week uh i was surprised how much i enjoyed guy ritchie's the gentleman yeah <laughs> boy <laughs> Yeah. I feel like there's a recurring theme right now with enjoyable movies at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I just, <laughs> but this one, I mean, I mean, I mean, he's, 
I mean, he's done crap like King Arthur and things like that. But this is this is back in his wheelhouse. And uh, I really do like the Guy Ritchie of Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, as opposed to all the big, you know, you know, the studio stuff that he wound up doing. Hugh Grant for Best Supporting Actor, FYI. Oh, FYI, definitely. But <laughs> there's some other guys in it who I think uh, do some really, really. This is the first time I've ever really liked Charlie Hunnam. Ah, uh, he's good in it. He's really good in it, I gotta say. I mean, I like him in Lost City of Z, but yeah, I think this is a good utilization of him for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not, and Henry Golding is, you know, I always thought of him because of, you know, Crazy Rich Asians and other things as kind of a squishy romantic lead. So it's nice to see him playing a hard gangster. Um, so good on him. Colin Farrell is always uh, Colin doing Farrell When he's in that mode, he is, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again, so enjoyable to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the Embruge mode a little bit. Right. I enjoyed that. And, of course, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant is <laughs> no good in this. Uh, it's it's absolutely terrific. He's still in my supporting actor lineup, like, in terms of what I've seen this year and how great he is in it. I, oh, I, yeah. like. After Paddington, uh, Florence Foster Jenkins, this, um, a very English scandal. It's like, when is the world going to catch up with the fact that Hugh Grant is amazing and deserves that first Oscar nomination? <laughs> uh, then uh, I saw Peter uh, Cataneo's Military Wives. Uh, oh. oh, isn't it the most charming thing? <laughs> it is. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of, if I saw it, at another time, maybe in January or at Toronto, yeah. I think I might be a little harder on it. But right now, it's yeah. it's a it, it's a wonderful it, movie to see. It's like a meatloaf. Yeah. You know, it's comforting. It's not gourmet cooking, but it's you know, it's what you want at the moment. Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies this year, and I totally agree. Like, this is the perfect time for it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. It's, it, it's bound its time. Uh, I'm glad to see him making movies like that again. It's been so long since the full Monty and that one really hit. And this seems like it's in the same vein. Very much so, Michael. Yeah. Uh, Quick note, uh, Snowpiercer, the TV show. If you love the movie, skip it. Um, Mm -hmm. All this time, turned it into a police procedural? Really? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, so I don't know. I don't know whether you guys have seen it or not. But I heard that. I thought it was a joke. And then I saw other people talking about it, and I just was like, nope, I'm not going to watch it now. <laughs> yep. Believe me, Matt, it's not a joke. And it's what they do to this. And, and Bong is at least technically involved in it, but uh, it, it, it ain't what we talked about on the uh, podcast. A few it weeks. kind of freaks me out a little bit about the uh, Parasite adaptation now for television yeah. a little bit in that Ooh. regard. So Please no. Yeah. And um, finally, I'm the last person in the world to catch up on bad education. Uh, but I think it, it's – Jack, it, if only this went to someplace other than HBO, um, <laughs> uh, Jackman really could be up for – you know, could be a real contender for the Oscar. I mean this this has all, this, all of the showmanship of Jackman plus the smarminess that he can bring out. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a great combination of that to me. And uh, I got to say I liked Alice and Janney better in this than I did in I, Tanya. Yes, thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Much better. I just wish she was in it more. Yeah, I do, too. I mean, it's a real supporting performance, but it's uh, it's it's really some of her best work on film ever. Yeah. So when she holds up the strawberry sandwich in one scene, that is like, you know, brilliance the way she holds it and is 
next to Hugh Jackman. I just thought that was a great choice that she made there. Great. <laughs> so those are my catch-ups for the week. All right, cool. Um, I told everyone on last week's show that I would watch The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and I watched The Curious Case of Benjamin Button after recording last week, and I freaking loved revisiting that movie. So thank you to everyone on the podcast that said, oh, Matt, you need you need to go back and revisit that because it was such an enjoyable experience. And I think it's one of Brad Pitt's most underrated performances and one of oh, David yeah. Fincher's most underrated movies. It's technically brilliant. And it's themes of, of celebration of both life and death. I, I think it has like this very morbid curiosity, no pun intended about it, that I just find ever so fascinating. And it definitely is not... Um, quote-unquote, Forrest Gump 2, as many people claimed it was upon its release, you, you know, you, because they were both written by Eric Roth. This movie yeah. definitely has, I think, a lot more to offer uh, than that film. Uh, rewatched Inherit Vice for the podcast, 2014 Retrospective. Uh, this was my fourth time watching this movie, and I was hoping to God that I would uh, like it this time around. And I have to say that every time I have watched Inherit Vice, I've liked it a little bit more each time. But I still am not in the love of territory. I still think it's deeply flawed, and it is by far my least favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film. More thoughts on the podcast if you want to hear uh, our thoughts on that. It was a great, great, great podcast review. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was one of the best ones. And then after um, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, I guess I was on a Fincher kick, maybe because Mank is coming out, and I'm trying to like get mentally ready for that since we haven't had a new cinematic film from him in six years. I rewatched uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo afterwards. Um, didn't love it as much as I loved it back in 2011. I think it was like my second favorite film that year. I don't know if I would go Whoa. that far now at all, but I still enjoyed it. And I watched the love birds as Dan said before. And you know, Hey, listen, as far <laughs> as, you know, new releases go, they're very, very, uh, rare right now. So take whatever you can get and it's on Netflix. So why not? You can do a lot, uh, worse than spend oh, some time yeah. with Kumail Nanjiani and, uh, is for, under an hour and a half. <laughs> so. Oh, love that. Alrighty, so that's uh, it for what we watched this week. Now, question is, what are we going to be watching in the coming weeks? Well, I'll tell you, people. We have a trailer here for Defy Bloods, a new Spike Lee film, which will be premiering on Netflix on June 12th. That is so close. It was set to premiere this year at the Cannes Film Festival, and it is... A sprawling story about Vietnam veterans who return to Vietnam. They are in search of the remains of their fallen squad leader, played by Chadwick Boseman, and the promise of buried treasure. These heroes uh, battle forces of humanity and nature while confronted by the lasting ravages of the immorality of the Vietnam War. Large ensemble cast here. Let's take a look at this trailer and give some thoughts. Black GI, is it fair? To serve more than the white Americans that sent you here. Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the soul brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Welcome back to Vietnam. Look what I found. You're the man in all his glory. 
Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. We bury it. They don't. We come back and collect. I shall resign the presidency. Being back here, it is not easy. So are you blaming yourself? You don't even know. No! We've been dying for this country from the bad kit. Give this gold to our people. Hold on! In my line of work, I have to be very careful. And that means knowing exactly who I am in business with. Delroy Lindo. <laughs> Jonathan Majors. Yes. Yes. Jonathan Majors. What a guy. So happy. And very, Paul very Hauser. Paul Walter Hauser. Yep. Giancarlo Esposito. Norm yeah. Lewis. Clark Peters. Mm-hmm. I mean, forget about the cast, too, even for just a moment here. I just, I think this might be maybe one of my favorite trailers, probably my favorite trailer of this year, just in terms of how it was presented, how it was cut. Both with the current timeline, the past timeline, and the four by three uh, box uh, aspect ratio, and then also the documentary footage, to still photos, and while um, the song is also playing in in the trailer as well, to kind of just give it this vibe and rhythm, it was just a very uniquely put together trailer. I yeah. really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I compared to the other trailer we're going to talk about this week, I really loved that it just gives the barest outline of a plot. And the feeling like there, there's a lot more to see in the movie than what you're seeing here. And it was very exciting. It's a very exciting trailer. And then Jean Reno at the very end as well pops Jean in. Jean Reno. Oh, my God. I haven't Reno. seen him in a minute. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is actually, um, I think, yeah, if I remember correctly, Kevin Wilmont uh was it, yeah, he was also involved uh, with uh, Black Klansman as well, writing alongside Spike Lee. There's obviously a lot of anticipation and hype for this one because following Black Klansman, I think Spike Lee is hot right now at the very moment. Working with Netflix, a studio right now that is in a very, very, very good position uh, with their slate for this year. I don't think personally that this is going to be as big as Black Klansman. And I think the June release might have something to maybe do with that. Otherwise, I would be questioning why this is not being released later. However, I do think that this looks really good. And I think it's going to uh, I think it's definitely going to quench our thirst right now for some cinematic greatness. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is 
without a doubt one of my most anticipated films of the year and it's a really well cut trailer and i it just gets me so excited to to watch this i'm always excited for a spike lee movie i think that he is continually one of the most interesting filmmakers working today and i think it should always be celebrated when he makes a new movie and i for me i feel no different with this one yeah absolutely I also really love that uh, Apocalypse Now sign transition into the club. Oh, my gosh. Like, there's some really, really great little nuggets and things in this trailer that, I mean, even on a freeze frame, like, I was going back and rewatching it, and I was just like, I don't know what the context is for this scene or what's going on, but it looks crazy, you know? (laughs) So it looks like it's going to be a really good time. Yeah, what I like particularly like about it it looks like it's it's very plot driven but it's also very character driven yes he's so good at both of them Mm -hmm. i'm also like just really excited to see some of these actors uh come into the spotlight a little bit you know norm lewis delroy lindo like we said clark peters Mm. i'm very very excited to see just what material they are given and how far they run with it yeah it's got it's got like it, it just looks like it has a lot going on, like a lot, you know, and for yeah. me, I'm hoping it will be the movie that I wanted Last Flag Flying to be a little bit in the regards of like veterans kind of like reuniting and revisiting their past and such. That movie didn't really click for me necessarily, and I'm hoping that this one does. Yeah, I will say that the one thing that does make me a little nervous is that. It does seem like there is a lot happening in this story that the trailer obviously isn't revealing too much of, which I am happy about. But I do wonder if it will get maybe a little too ungainly in terms of the scope of its story. I do worry about that a little bit, but I'm still going to be there day one to watch the movie. It is long. It's it's 154 minutes. Wow. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> Let's fucking go. All right. Uh, you know what? I didn't know that until you just said that. That's actually that makes me more excited because hopefully it's enough time to allow for some of these character arcs and for the emotional resonance of the story to play out in a way that's going to have great impact, uh, which with that runtime, I think is a great possibility mm-hmm. or it could be a slog. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you never know with Spike Lee. You just you never know. But here's what we do know. We do know it's going to at least be interesting because he's an interesting filmmaker yes. and he never gives us anything that I would call boring. That's for sure. Unless if it's the remake of Old Boy, then in that case. Uh, that movie doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> that, that never came out. It never did. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our next trailer. Uh, so this was uh, something that kind of came out of nowhere for me a little bit. Um, This is based on a comic book. It's a superhero film, actually. Uh, It's called The Old Guard. Stars Charlize Theron, Kiki Lane, Matthias Schoenhartz, and Chiwetel Ejiofor. It is directed by Gina Prince-Bifewood, who also did uh, Love and Basketball, The Secret Life of Bees, and Beyond the Lights. So definitely a change of pace in regards to genre here. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. This is another Netflix film coming July 10th. Who are you? You can call me Andy. I lead a group of soldiers. Fighters like you. With an extremely rare skill set. What do you mean? Mother? Let's just say we're very hard to kill. 
You've got questions, kid. You want answers? I have the new one. And? I think she has potential. <laughs> See, you're already healing faster. You're gonna do great. So you good guys or bad guys? Depends on the century. So we really never die. Just because we keep living doesn't mean we stop hurting. <laughs> Throughout history, we've protected this world, fighting in the shadows. It's nearly impossible to disappear in the world we live in today. Would you like me to take one for you? Oh, thank you so much. There you go. Thank you. These are extraordinary individuals. They are extremely resistant to capture. They're going to lock us up and weaponize us. But they've never faced an army like ours. An army of five. Shit, let's start a band. If we can unlock their genetic code, the entire world will be begging us for the key. You shouldn't have done that. We don't have all the answers. But we do have purpose. I strongly recommend that we leave right now. Let's move! Wait for the signal. How the hell can you even tell? Oh. Do you guys feel like... Okay, so... Charlize Theron's got a good eye for material, right? Mm-hmm. And she's been in action mode before, and she has crushed it. I I don't know if it's because the story for this just looks extremely... Uh, I think the dialogue... I think the dialogue is what kind of ruined me uh, with this trailer. I heard some of these lines of exposition being said, and I just was like... Mm, I don't know if I'm feeling, like, w this screenplay already, but... I will say this, Charlize Theron, like I said, in badass action mode, I can't get enough of it. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, you love to see it. Um, but I, as far as this trailer goes, like a lot of that dialogue is, and also like, I feel like I have no need to see the movie because I just saw the whole movie. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I, the, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, the premise of it to me to have, um, uh, action heroes who cannot be killed takes away a lot of the suspense and investment that we might have in them. Yeah, I mean, the concept is interesting, right? They're a pack of mercenaries and they're traveling through, well, uh, not traveling, but the, they, they've lived through, you know, the, his the, the history of mankind, essentially, uh, protecting the weak and also, um, I don't know, like, just trying to, like, keep the order the balance of the world i suppose with what they do i don't know it, it was very it was very unusual uh to me in terms of how they try to convey the story um 
I guess I was just more happy to see, if anything, just to see Charlize Theron continue to be versatile and continue to do something different. Uh, she has no intentions of slowing down, which I really appreciate about her. And Kiki Lane, I'm just happy to see Kiki Lane doing stuff after if Bill Street could talk, as always. Yep. Oh, yeah. She was so good in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very low expectations for this movie, I have to say. But I do like Charlize Theron in this mode. I, I would be interested to see that. And... I am also uh, contractually obligated to see anything with Matthias Schoenarts in it, so there's... (laughs) (laughs) There is that. You know, I'm not sure how I feel about this one, Uh, just the genre. uh, It didn't always click with me in this trailer, but I just want to say about Sheena Prince-Blythewood, her previous films, if you have not seen Beyond the Lights, and I know a lot of you didn't six years ago, please make that a priority, because that is a truly phenomenal film. Absolutely, I, I completely agree. Uh, I thought that was Ruben really, really raw good. And Mini Driver should have been in the Oscar conversation that year. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. This is her first, this is her first film since then. Yeah, and that was a whole six years ago. So, you know, I loved seeing her get work. Even The Secret Life of Bees wasn't as good as the book. But, you know, some good performances there, a nice movie. And, you know, of course, we all love Love and Basketball. What's that, 20 years ago now? Yeah. Gosh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah she's, she's great, and I'm always interested to see what she's doing. Uh, but... I am a little worried about sometimes when filmmakers do make this jump right from uh, their wheelhouse, if you will, to then this typical studio action blockbuster. And we kind of saw that this week, even with Michael Showalter for the Lovebirds to a certain degree. And I don't think he made the transition all that well. But hey, you know what? The other films speak for themselves. I think she's a good filmmaker so far of what she's given us. I am reserving judgment until I see the final product. Yeah. Sometimes the material is the material. Just because Rob Marshall did a Pirates of the Caribbean movie did not make it uh, any more than a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. There you go. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, you you, you go cry at Midnight Special again, okay? That's what you're good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I I don't don't buy that. That's just how it works. (laughs) All right. So news for this week. Uh, Let's touch upon uh, some interesting things that are going on in the world. Let's start off with HBO Max, Warner Brothers, everything that's been going on this week. So that streaming service launches on May 27th. That is... Uh, three days from now. I'm actually pretty excited for it. I've subscribed to the service. I'm interested in seeing what it will have to provide in the long run. I also... <laughs> I also am... Really? We're going to talk about this? Okay. Uh, oh, no. I'm, I am curious to see the Snyder Cut. I have to admit. I have to admit it. I am. I, but what is it going to... What is it They would literally have to spend... $30 million on visual effects, ADR. Apparently, there's no reshoots uh, required. 
Twenty million dollars is what they're spending on it. Like, oh, Jesus, I yeah no. Which basically just confirmed what everybody was saying when when we all said there really is no Snyder cut. Well, there wasn't because you had to spend twenty million dollars to finish making the movie. So, I mean, I don't really want to get into too much of it for myself because it's just exhausting to think about. I just look at it as. Warner Brothers is investing some money to get people to subscribe to HBO Max. Right. It was a brilliant marketing ploy on their part to say that in order to see it in 2021, you will have to subscribe to HBO Max. And there is a rabid fan base for this. I will not discount the passion from people. And I'm also not going to discount the fact that Zack Snyder had a horrible tragedy befall upon him, which led to this whole this whole mess in the first place. And if fans who he's got very passionate fans want to see what he had originally intended, or at least some semblance of that, you know, there's ties to the Richard Donner cut of Superman two going on here to a certain degree. I mean, I get it. I understand. Now what I'm getting a little annoyed with though, is I'm getting very annoyed with uh, people asking for other cuts of other movies. And it's like they've just moved on now to, like, where's the I air cut of Suicide Squad? And I'm like, oh my god, please, the, no. There is, that <laughs> was his cut. Like, oh Jesus. So Christ. yeah, stop it. <laughs> I I will admit that there were times where I did feel like the behavior of the fandom was a little toxic at times. Uh, but a little. Uh, I'm trying to be nice here, Dan. Okay. <laughs> but I, I I will say that, like, even though Zack Snyder's films for me, I they've never really fully. I don't think I've ever given him like an enthusiastic review for anything. Uh, but there are aspects of Watchmen that I like. There are aspects of Man of Steel that I like. There are aspects of 300 that I like. I am going to watch this because at the end of the day, you know, he is a human being. And like I said, what happened to him was awful and his family. And if he has the means to do this, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. And believe me, you can go back in the archives. I did not like Justice League one bit. (laughs) So no one did. No. I mean, I think the box office for that film kind of speaks for itself. Moving on, though, uh, from that uh, topic of conversation, back to uh, HBO Max here for a bit. It's another streaming service being introduced into the world. They have their HBO catalog. They have their Warner Brothers catalog. And they also have the rights to other uh, catalogs that they have purchased strictly for this streaming service. I think that it is something to keep an eye on, not right away, but maybe in the future in regards to this transition into uh, streaming content and how that plays into the awards game. It'll be very interesting to see in what way Warner Brothers uh, utilizes HBO Max potentially uh, for other awards consideration outside of their theatrically released films. I'm not saying that's going to happen right away, but I do think it's the first step possibly in a continued trend that we will probably see over the next couple of years. Don't you guys agree? Yeah, it's definitely trending that direction. And, you know, I I am very fascinated to see how all this is going to play out, you know, as the the splintering between the different studios happen more and more with their own streaming services. I'm I'm very curious to see what the results of that are going to entail. And then there becomes like a big question of, you know, for example, uh, Michael, you and I were talking about this with Disney+. Plus. 
the Hamilton movie that's going to be released soon, what will that be technically like in contention for awards wise? What does that count as? Is it Emmys? Is it is it Oscars? Like what? It, where's the line? Yeah, I think we're still trying to figure that one out. Uh, and I think we'll have a few answers in coming weeks. As it looks now, I think it might you know, be an Oscar thing. But, you know, I have no definitive answer there. So it'll be interesting to see where HBO falls in this whole mix. Right, exactly. And then also, too, it's like, does it contend for uh, TV movie for the Emmys? You know, if they release movies exclusively on HBO Max? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the, the TV Academy, it said no more double dipping. Right. Yep. And they're going to have to pick. So actually, it's funny. You mentioned the TV Academy. I actually want to mention uh, another thing uh, about another Academy uh, really quick here. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Uh, there was an article this week oh. that the Academy is considering postponing the 2021 Oscars. Read this story. Read the quotes in it. People saying it's likely that it's going to be postponed saying that it's impossible to know what the landscape is going to be like. We know we want to celebrate film. We don't know exactly what form it will take. There was no new information in this article, and I think everybody wow. lost their minds when they saw this. And I'm going to just tell you what I've heard personally through talking with uh, several people from various studios so far. The Oscars intend on holding their date right now. The idea of postponing is a consideration. That does not mean that it's actually happening. By all for, for all intents and purposes, as of today, right now, at this very moment, the Oscars are still happening. What form it will take, that is the question. It's not going to be, like we talked about last week, what we are used to. And you start getting into this whole big conversation of... Is announcing movies that have won for this year via just a press release or anything like that without an actual quote unquote show, is that enough? And for us, it might be, but from the business end of things, it may not be. And I think that is where a decision is going to have to be made at some point. Because also, too, think about this. If the Oscars do move their date, it's going to then cause a ripple effect with all the other studios and their releases as well, because they're holding on to their releases at the current moment, unsure of what to do with them as well. So everybody's just collectively holding their breath until somebody uh, pulls the trigger first, essentially. I love how this is the opposite of the conversation we were having last season. <laughs> last year, we were talking about the Oscars moving up and all the other precursors having to push up their schedule to get there before the Oscars. And yeah. now we're talking about the Oscars being potentially postponed and wondering how the precursors are then going to move later to still be close to the Oscars, but not too early that everything changes. It's just very funny that we're now talking in complete opposite of where we were just months ago. Telluride, Venice, TIFF, they are a very, very, very short three months away at that point. They got it like, man, something's got to be done at some point. Uh, someone's got to make a call as to what is going on and in what form it's going to take. I still don't have any answers. I have ideas and predictions. And I think we, you know, we, we talked about this last week. But at the end of the day here, I still think that there is going to be a middle ground in regards to uh, digital screenings of movies at these film festivals 
so that they can apply with the rules and the guidelines that the Academy has uh, put forth this year, uh, just for this year. And I think the Oscars are still going to happen. I just don't think it's going to be this glitz and glam show where stars show up and such. I but I but I don't know what it's going to be. I know it's not going to be that though. Yeah, which is what we've been saying basically from the beginning. Like every yeah. week, it's just going into more uncertainty and. You know, I'm sure they're considering a thousand different things right now. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen. And it's just frustrating when we treat these stories like it's breaking news that they're considering moving the Oscars or whatever. And it's like, well, of course they're considering it. They're considering (laughs) every option they can right now, especially for a ceremony that's supposed to take place next February. Right. And, and, And I think I'm sure that ABC doesn't want to have a Zoom Oscars. But nonetheless, yeah. nonetheless, uh, you know, that's got You know, everything has got to be considered. And I'm just sorry they put out a press release because it got us all buzzing and oh. uh, you know, for nothing. Yeah, basically. All righty. Uh, other bits of news this week. Uh, the Tom Hanks World War Two film Greyhound, which we uh, talked about a trailer on. I think that was actually the first week of quarantine. We talked about that trailer. Um, it has now been picked up by Apple and will be premiering on Apple TV Plus instead of in theaters. For a nice chunk of change, apparently. Yeah. Uh, I think it was it was at least 50 million. 50? Jeez Louise. Yeah, it, they spent a lot of money on this. I'm going to get an exact number, but it was somewhere in that range, which is pretty significant for a movie we were ready to say, oh, this is just typical Father's Day fair. Yeah, it might have people go and see it in theaters, but whatever. Now it's like everyone will have access to it in Actually, no, it's not going to be in June. They didn't say when it'll be, but I assume no. sometime this summer. Yeah, I assume I assume as well. Um, I, I, Apple continues to be this fascinating new new kid on the block service <laughs> um, in regards to our film world, where nearly every decision I've seen them make, I'm like scratching my head, asking myself, like, do they know what they're doing? Um, but then again, hey. Like I said, brand new on the block, still trying to work out some kinks. And do I think this is the greatest acquisition in the world? Not necessarily, but at the end of the day, Apple is more of a PG family facing, you know, kind of a service. And Tom Hanks is the poster child for (laughs) the feel good, (laughs) you know, person of America, essentially. Yeah. Well, they better hope it's family friendly. I, I mean, my fascinating is one word for it. <laughs> <laughs> the budget here, the budget was $50 million. Mm-hmm. Apple spent, ready for this? Yeah. They spent $70 million to buy this movie. Hey, you know what? $20 million profit versus no profit. I mean. They spent the same amount of money on this movie that Disney spent for Hamilton. I just don't understand that kind of, I, I don't get it. Yeah. No. Other uh, news as well, the Jon Stewart-directed uh, film Irresistible, starring Steve Carell, Rose Byrne, is now uh, heading over to VOD on Friday, June 26th. It was originally supposed to come out uh, this weekend, actually. But Focus Features has moved that, uh, so that'll be another 1999 rental for all of us. Um I don't know about this one. I, I rewatched the trailer after hearing this news, and I'm still looking at it like, eh, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm excited to see it, but then again, it's a movie about pol- political consultants directed by John Stewart, so you know that's a very easy sell for me. Sure, no, I totally understand that. I just wasn't that impressed with his directorial debut, um, Rosewater. That was fine. 
I mean, if you want to talk about fascinating, let's try Rose Byrne's career. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Mm. That I is mean, true. She got her start really basically in the U.S. on Damages on TV, playing a very dramatic character who cried a lot. <laughs> and then her next big thing, I think, was Bridesmaids. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, holy shit, she is a genius comedian. And then since then, it's been this crazy mix of films. And I don't know, anything anything she does, I'm, I'm here for it, honestly. I agree. She's, you can always count on her to do something interesting. Yeah, she's got a lot of guts. I got to give it to her. Mm. She really... She's not afraid to tackle things that people would not expect of her. Yes. Uh, so I know we were talking about the Academy a minute ago. Uh, and last week's poll, we asked everyone, uh, what do they think would be the next Best Picture Oscar winner? Just trying to get a temperature check right now. You know, what people's expectations are. We don't know if these movies are coming out. They are sight unseen. This is all for fun. So if anybody wants to criticize while we're asking this question, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we do have a top 10 here uh, based on the votes from the MVP film community of what they think is going to be um, our next Best Picture winner. So let's take a look and see what they voted on. And these are the films to definitely, um, I think, keep an eye on as we, you know, move forward. Uh, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> they see the light of day. All right. So at number 10. You know what? It's going to happen at some point. I don't know when, but if a foreign language film can win Best Picture, an animated film can at some point as well. It's Soul from Pixar. Hmm. I can see it getting very good reviews. I'm, you know, whether it can go this distance, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we can all agree that we'll probably see a animated film win Best Picture maybe before, say, a documentary. No, I think the other way around. I still think yeah, animation yeah, is a long way to go with this too. academy. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I have the opposite opinion, but it's another conversation. Yep. Number nine. The Sundance hit film starring Stephen Young, Minari, which is my second favorite film of the year still so far. Love that movie. A24 has that, right? Yep. Oh, well, then it's not winning. (laughs) No, probably won't even get nominated for anything. (laughs) Yep. Number eight. A film that is going to be released this year is going to see the light of day, and there's a lot of expectation for it. Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy. That's one I think we should really keep an eye on. That seems like total Academy bait based on a very popular novel. Amazing cast. Uh, Really watch that one. It's from Netflix. Speaking of Netflix, number seven is Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. (laughs) I don't, like I said before, I don't think it's going to be as big as Black Klansman, but hey. With the year being what it is, I'm also thinking of that in terms of all of the competition that a film would face in a normal given year. With competition being lower this year because of lack of releases, maybe Defy Bloods does come up the middle and uh, it does achieve the same level of success as Black Klansman. We'll see. Number six. I don't know if this movie is going to be ready in time, and that breaks my soul because I am considering doing a rewatch of all of the movies that this man has written. It is Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Well, I have a reason Hmm. to be optimistic with that one because Paramount just changed the release date from uh, late September to mid-October. Okay. So there is movement. I think uh, they're almost ready with that one, it looks like. I hope so. Yeah, it looks very good. Amazing cast there again, too. You have Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, Mark Rylance, Frank Langella. 
It's a it's a great awards date. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's right before the election. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, the uh, uh, DNC in uh, the sixties. Number five. If this man tells you to vote for Green Book for Best Picture, you're going to vote for Green Book for Best Picture. <laughs> oh, God. It is West Side Story. I'm so intrigued. So absolutely intrigued by this one. No. Oh, I think it's going to be a train wreck. No, it's, it's not going to be a train wreck. It's, it's not going to be a train wreck, but it's Robert not Robbins going to be one. the original. Uh, yeah. it will, nothing will ever be the original, and I think we have to go in with those expectations. But I am so interested in seeing what a Steven Spielberg musical looks like. A train wreck. Yeah, and you know, you, you take a look at the musical now, and it's some of it is kind of cringy. Yeah, well, they have, um, you know, they got a rewrite going. Yeah, and Tony it, Kushner. Tony Kushner. I mean, he's can't go wrong with Tony. You have Latinx performers playing Latinx characters. I mean, that's a nice step forward. I mean, look, there are lots of things that I like about what they're doing with this and you know hiring Tony Kushner to rewrite it is probably more of a good thing than a bad thing but you just don't mess with perfection I'm sorry that'll be a good question to ask uh, on the uh, polls one week uh, what is a film that is so sacred to you that you never want to see it be remade uh, I think I think I'll ask that question when we get closer Ooh, possibly to West Side Story yeah that's a good question number four now listen I have high hopes for this movie. This is not winning Best Picture. I am definitively saying that right now. This is not winning Best Picture because it's the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I'm sorry. And I will eat my words if I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong. It is Denny Villeneuve's Dune. <laughs> no, that's not winning Best Picture. That's no, absolutely no. <laughs> Number three. Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Yes, these people have tastes. Number two. Christopher Nolan's Tenet. I would say that's another one that is not winning Best not, Picture. It's not winning Best Picture. <laughs> I, I do want to uh, hold some thoughts on that uh, until after this conversation. Uh, number one, though, is David Fincher's Mank. Yeah, that seems like an interesting bet. That's where the smart money would go, yeah. It's, it's in the Academy's wheelhouse. It's about themselves. I think we can definitively say that Mank is the early frontrunner, which is kind of upsetting because we all know that you never want to be the early front yeah. runner. Yeah. <laughs> That's the the position you don't want to be in. Right. Uh-huh. Unless if you are the artist and you somehow steamroll the entire season. Well, you get lucky and but the also rest of the movies that, that come out aren't that great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That was one thing. And the other thing about the artist was that it, it did not have the early front runner status until it premiered at con. Right. And also, too, David Fincher has been here before having the early front runner with the social network, which steamrolled everything until it didn't. Until. So this week's poll, we are asking everyone. Which is their favorite Christopher Nolan film? We are asking everyone this because there was a new trailer for Tenet that dropped. I still don't really know what it's about. I'm glad I don't know what it's about. That is awesome to me. I think that what, if I had to take a guess though, I do think that the movie is about time travel, but in a way that we've probably never ever seen it before or thought about it before, much like in the same way where Nola did a lot of research on black holes for Interstellar and gave us something that, quite frankly, I don't think we'd ever seen before uh, with that movie. So I think Tenet's going to do something similar here. What do you guys think? 
I well, yeah. well they do kind of explain the it that it's not exactly time travel in the the trailer that was released this week. Um, and I think it definitely could be interesting. Um, it reminds me of uh, there was a Nicolas Cage movie that also had something time twisty. Is that the one where he was on the plane? I think so. Anyway. I remember, and but like it reminded me a bit of that, but of course, this looks a lot better than that. Um, it everything else, like it just looks like a very stereotypically Christopher Nolan movie, which means like it looks handsome and well made and great practical effects, and also a little bit taking itself too seriously. I've uh heard a lot of theories on the internet so far, um. Theories ranging from that Robert Pattinson is playing Christopher Nolan in the movie, <laughs> that this is really a Inception sequel, and that we're going to see a cameo from Leonardo DiCaprio at some point. I- I've seen it all, I feel like, uh, over the last couple of days after this uh, trailer debuted and people got a little bit more of the story. Um, at the end of the day, I'm excited to see John David Washington's star continue to shine and blow up. I think he's going to explode after this movie black Klansman was definitely a breakthrough for him but i think this is where he will be catapulted into the stratosphere along with his father absolutely he just has such charisma even from the two minute trailer we saw here just just apparently clear that what we saw in black Klansman translates over into a movie like this absolutely uh but i am i am a little worried dan uh like you said before nolan's got certain tropes and he's also got certain flaws mm-hmm. that keep on continuing in his movies time and time and time again. Yeah. And I am a little worried in that regard. I'm also a little worried about Tenant's ability to subvert expectations now that we kind of know what the Christopher Nolan formula is a little bit. Yeah. It, it, it feels very much like Inception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think that what... He's playing with the concept of time, and we've seen before nonlinear storytelling, memento, and or how he utilizes editing with cross-cutting like in Dunkirk or um, multiple perspectives of, uh, from like something like The Prestige, that this is a guy that likes to play around with story structure in a way that I think with mm-hmm. Tenet is going to continue that. I have this, I have this feeling, I have a feeling that Tenet could possibly be Nolan's screenplay Oscar, maybe, maybe. I don't. It depends on how it depends on how genius the concept is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, is is it going to be simply a concept movie, or will the dialogue raise up to uh, rouse the writers? I don't know. It does look like it has heft, mm-hmm. and you know, and in a year like this, anything that has um, the kind of ambition this thing, this uh, film seems to have. We'll get some notice uh, by the Academy. I don't know. I feel like a lot of this is contingent on it playing in theaters. This doesn't look like the type of movie that will play as well on a smaller screen. Like Fortnite, for example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, a, what an interesting way to release the trailer. I, that was so... <laughs> Fort what? Like... Kind, of, kind of genius a little bit, if you ask me. But definitely out there. All right. So like I said, this week's question, favorite Christopher Nolan movie. We asked this question three years ago. 
I think that our fan base has changed a lot since then. Uh, we've gotten the release of Dunkirk since then. Um, I think the overall makeup here as a result will be a little bit different. Uh, some of you guys also weren't with the site three years ago either. So let's hear it. Michael, I know yours already, uh, but tell us again your favorite Christopher Nolan film. Yeah, so if you asked it before Dunkirk, my answer would have been The Dark Knight. But now that I've seen Dunkirk, that's my answer. Yep, I kind of figured as much. Dan Bear, what about yourself? I have been a prestige guy since it was released, and I don't think anything he's made has topped it since. You you don't know? <laughs> How can he not know? Uh, all right, Josh Parham. Well, I'm not going to go into too much detail because we're actually going to talk about this movie. <laughs> uh, my favorite is Interstellar. One of my favorite podcast reviews that hasn't happened yet because I am waiting <laughs> for Josh Parham's passionate argument and i'm waiting to hear if he can help me oversee the flaws of interstellar that have held it back for me from being top tier nolan i am very very excited for that review i am too hey look i did it when we talked about the hateful eight i'm here for the film by a filmmaker that people don't really seem to like that much but is one of my favorites so i'm ready for it all right all right exciting tom o'brien what about you um, I, I'm, I am a big fan of Dunkirk, but to this day, still my favorite Nolan is Memento. Mm. I echo uh, you, Tom, 100%. I think Dunkirk is his greatest directorial achievement. Uh, the sheer size and scale of that movie from a practical standpoint still kind of boggles my mind in how mm. he shot some of those sequences. I don't think that, that there are many filmmakers that would even dare to do what he did with that, even if they were given all the money in the world by Warner Brothers to go off and do it. Um, but Memento, for me, is one of my top 10 favorite films of all time. I think it's one of the most ingenious concepts I've ever seen in a film. And yeah. I am mesmerized by it every single time. Every time. Without fail. That movie just blows my mind. So tell us what your favorite Christopher Nolan film is. Head on over to the polls at nextbestpicture.com. Let us know. And now we are going to hear from the MVP film community. We have some questions to answer this week. Let's hear what they got for us. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiae Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut up. I wonder shut who up. the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by the Uh, Jeffrey Kerr asks us, and I'll be honest, Jeffrey, I don't think about this often, but I'm wondering if you guys do. What are some of your favorite movies to watch in honor of Memorial Day? I don't feel like I watch movies on Memorial Day that, uh, like, uh, remind me of Memorial Day. That's, yeah. you know? But... Yeah, I really don't. If I had to say something that makes me think of what Memorial Day, you know, stands for... I, I mean, uh, why? yeah, I mean, it's a cliche, maybe, but why not just say Saving Private Ryan and call it a day? Yeah. yeah, that'd be that's, my that's a good answer. 
Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I don't even really think too much about movies on Memorial Day, but I actually think more so about like the Twilight Zone marathon that usually airs on television <laughs> around these kinds of holidays. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I like that answer too. <laughs> uh, what about you, Michael? Dan? How about the best years of our lives? Great That's choice. Love it. Yeah. That's good. One of the best, best picture winners that we've ever had. Yeah. Okay. Ian Balakalak, since the Snyder Cut of Justice League is now official, what are your favorite director's cuts of movies? Hmm. <laughs> I have a go-to answer for this, so I'll say right off the top. I think Ridley Scott is the king of the director's cut, and the best director's cut I've ever seen him do is not Blade Runner, surprisingly. It was Kingdom of Heaven. That director's cut versus that theatrical cut is a night and day difference of a movie where it, the director's cut is exponentially <laughs> better to the point that i would even go so far as to say that kingdom of heaven is maybe even a greater accomplishment than gladiator for ridley scott like and wow. nobody has seen it and it it, it like it upsets me because all they've seen is the damn theatrical cut and the theatrical cut is truly a mess and it's awful but that director's cut of that movie it's long it's super long but God damn, if you love those historical epics in the vein of something like a, a Braveheart, it's it, it's it's great. It's so good. I have consistently heard that about Kingdom of Heaven, and I have not watched the director's cut yet, but it fits in with what I have heard about that movie for sure. I would go with Brazil. Ooh, nice. I just think that that I mean, they fucking butchered it for the theatrical release after the premiere at the um whatever first film festival it, it premiered at. Um, and the original director's cut is d I near perfect. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. There are only certain, there are certain movies out there where I've only ever seen a director's cut and I've never seen the theatrical cut. Like uh, once upon a yeah. time in America, for example, mm -hmm. or um, Amadeus is another one. Yeah. I've only ever seen a director's cut of that film. Yeah, I think that's the only one you can see now. I don't even think they have the original Best Picture winning version anywhere. Yeah. yeah. For me, it would, it would be Once Upon a Time in America. I mean, for me, the when I saw the theatrical version, it didn't make any sense to me. And I was so disappointed. And then when the director's cut, which slowed things down and gave the characters room to breathe, came out at 250 minutes, granted, long, but it, but it was necessary to tell that story. And I saw it and I like, this is like a completely different film. And I love this film. I don't like the theatrical. So that would be one for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think for, I just want to say that I think my answer to this would be uh, James Cameron's Aliens. That is a movie where I feel like the director's cut actually gives you so much more emotion, uh, emotional motivation for the characters that anytime mm. I watch that movie, I feel like I can only ever watch the director's cut now. Hmm. All right, I'm going to sound super basic with my answer, but, you know, is what it is. I liked, and I still like when they do it, uh, when a Judd Apatow movie, as long as they typically are in their theatrical release, I like it when he adds, like, the extra five or ten minutes to have, you know, that extra footage in there that would be a deleted scene. I like seeing it in the context of where you would see it in the movie. So even a movie like Funny People, which uh, theatrical cut is 146 minutes, Having about 10 minutes added on, look, we're already over two and a half hours or about at about two and a half hours. What's an extra four or five minutes? Everything <laughs> when it comes well, to that movie. <laughs> funny is funny. Uh, yeah, too bad the second half of that movie is not funny. Um, 
Braden Hughes asks, in honor of the release of The Five Bloods this week, who do you think could be the first black director to win for the best director category at the Oscars? Will it be someone who has previously been nominated in the category before or someone new altogether? <laughs> my my gut my gut tells me it will be Barry Jenkins. That is my feeling right now as well if I had to guess. I think that if Spike is on as much of a hot streak right now as it seems like, I think it'll be him before anyone else. How incredible would it be if the man wins his honorary Oscar, adapted screenplay right after, and then wins director? <laughs> like, <laughs> clearly he was not done when they gave him that honorary award. I yeah. <laughs> and the thing That'd is, be awesome. With Spike now, he's playing ball with the Academy. Yes. Uh, yep, he is. In a, in a way he didn't in the do the right thing era. Um, so that very much could happen. But I think there's such respect for Barry Jenkins, too. And, um, oh boy, this, that's a tough one. But I, I suspect Barry Jenkins will probably put, be able to make a film that's much more in the Academy's wheelhouse than perhaps Spike will. I also am very curious about what else Steve McQueen does. Yeah. I'm very, very curious if he'll, if he'll be back. Uh, but Barry's the one that I think has so much goodwill. I, I think I, I, as of right now, I think it's the one that's most likely to me. Yeah. What do you think about Ryan Coogler? Oh, well, he's doing Black Panther 2. He would have to go back to something like a Fruitvale station. Um, I mean, but the fact that he is now sort of in the machine, as it were, and is making money for them, like that could be a sign that, hey, you're doing good movies for us and making us money. If you go off and do something more personal that we really like too, like, yeah, we'll give you something for it. I, I could see that happening as well. Sure. Yeah, sort of like Tell Spielberg. It's a you start off small. You have Fruitvale Station. Spielberg had his small films before Jaws and E.T., and then he, you know, went to do Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, and and, and Ryan Coogler's clearly got the chops. Oh, he hasn't had a miss yet. I mean, it's unreal what he's been able to do in such a short period of time. So that's a good. That's a good choice as well. <laughs> so all these things, I'll just say, tell all this to Creed, and if Beale Street could talk. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned David Duvernay, but I. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I don't even want to go there because it's just too distressing. But this one comes from P. Baker 30. Do you think that Warner Brothers will eventually move Dune? We still have yet to see a teaser, and the film is seven months away. Well, we got a nice Vanity Fair piece, which I think says something. Agreed. Who knows? What <laughs> like, are release really, dates anymore? I, I mean, yeah, nobody can definitively say anything. Uh, I, hey, I, I don't know what the deal is here with food, because, Dan, you mentioned uh, before food movies, but... Uh, Paul Rye at Crazy Martin four three four asks, uh, "What's your favorite movie scene that takes place during dinner?" My vote is the hereditary dinner scene. That's a pretty good one. Um, there, there were a lot. I mean, Phantom Thread, the Phantom Thread surprise dinner scene is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd like the Easter dinner scene in um, Annie Hall. Oh yeah, when um, when you yeah. know when, when it starts with Colleen Dewhurst and the current family, and then. LV thinks about his his own family when he was a child, and, and then the two families start talking to each other over different timelines. It's kind of cool, I thought. <laughs> two very different families. Yeah, I know it's cool to hate on this movie as well, but um, the asparagus scene in American Beauty came to mind just now for me. Yeah, that, that's, that's good... always the one that I that I think of first. But then also, um, <laughs> Clue. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite would have to be the birdcage, which revolves around dinner. But when uh, Spartacus is serving sweet sour peasant oh, soup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is just an all-timer and right there. Don't you have any girls in your book? <laughs> <laughs> just classic, classic, classic. Mike Nichols, Elaine May, and that cast, everyone sells that scene, and it's just perfection. All right. Isaiah Washington asks, in honor of Tenet, one of these Christopher Nolan films has to go. Which one are you taking out? Erasing from existence from our memory. Inception, oh. Memento, Dunkirk, or The Dark Knight? dark night that's not even a question for me the other three are original and irreplaceable i'm saying bye to memento i'm saying so long to dark night i'm saying goodbye to dunkirk what there's so many there there are so many war films dude i mean it's fine you know Mm. after you said it was his best directed movie yes it's not my it's not my it's not my number one favorite of his but i just think that Listen, it's a very unique war film. It's one of my favorite films of the decade, but I will not ever dare erase what Heath Ledger did from existence if I take the Dark Knight out. And I have to agree uh, that Inception and Memento are very original movies. And Dunkirk, to me, um, doesn't... It, to me, it's, it's a war film that's told in a very original and unique way, but I don't feel like I'm missing anything if it were gone. Mm. uh man it's, it's tough but i think if i had to pick one honestly i think i would pick inception and i don't say that easily but there are things that i do i do actually find myself watching those other three movies more frequently than i do revisit inception if i'm being honest with you all right general questions now which actor that has never been or never did so that they could be dead Get nominated for an Academy Award deserved it the most. Same question for actress and director. Who never got nominated? Never got nominated. There's so many. (laughs) Hmm. Well, the first one that just came to my mind, because like Dan said, there's so many that you could name. um, But just one that came to my mind is I still think it's a shame that Alfred Molina doesn't have a nomination. Yeah, especially after he came so close. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Well, it would be so typical of me to say Emily Blunt, which is an accurate answer in my opinion, but she's not going to be my official answer here. I'm going with Christine Baranski, who I would love to see get a nomination one of these years. It annoys me. It annoys me to no end that uh, Myrna Loy never got an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Among among contemporary actors, I I. I one of these days, I hope that Steve Buscemi gets an Oscar nomination. Oh, mm, yeah, yeah, that would be nice. John Goodman still hasn't gotten one, has he? No, no he is not. No. No. He is not. Which is so surprising because every t- it feels like every time he's in something even Oscar adjacent, people go crazy for his performance. And like, this is going to be the one This he's going to win and he doesn't get nominated. I'm going with Kevin Bacon. Wow. Uh, for actress, I mean, there's Meg Ryan, Jamie Lee Curtis. Michelle oh, Pfeiffer. Jamie Lee Curtis. I think that'd be my answer. Jamie Lee Curtis is a good one. I think I'm going to go with Robin Wright, though, especially in recent years and what she was able to do with like House of Cards. And 
her problem is that she keeps getting cast in like small bit roles and on like ensemble films and such where she doesn't get enough to do. I would like I would like to see her get get a nomination at some point, though. Yeah, it's so weird that neither she or uh, Sally Field got nominated for Forrest Gump. That's just bizarre yeah, to me, no. given how much yeah, it's very them. strange that 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 it didn't pan out for either of them. Yeah, they probably canceled each other out. I might go back a few years to I think Mia Farrow deserved a nomination for Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yeah, oh, for sure. And the Purple Rose of Cairo oh. and 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 uh, yeah. Broadway Danny Rose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then for directing. Directing. You know, I'm going to go contemporary and I'm going to say someone who's had a number of best picture nominations without getting directing. And that's Rob Reiner. Yes. That was the one that like immediately came to my mind. Yeah. How like how he could have that run that that run of films in a row and not even for like a few good men. I, I just like ugh, I don't get it. I don't understand it. So this guy already has an Oscar, but it's for writing. And I would really not that it's going to happen. He doesn't make movies anymore. He's still very much alive. Thank goodness. I would have loved to see Mel Brooks get a directing nomination. Yeah, he's got an Oscar, though. Yeah, he won original screenplay. So, you know, no tears shed. But no, no, no. But we're talking anyone that's never been nominated. Oh, never been nominated in general. Not just for that. Category. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, OK. OK. So then forget that. Hmm. Well, I then think my Reiner, answer would be he have a nomination for picture. Yeah, he does. Wait, for which movie? You good man. Did he get? Did was he a producer on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, I then think. that takes him out. Okay. Uh, but he still sort of fits within the parameters. I feel like, though. All right, fine. Well, he's never won, so yeah, we'll 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 go with that. Okay, so nominees mm-hmm. but not winners. All right. What about Sergio? Well, what about Sergio Sergio Leone? That's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one because he's, you know, he's really influenced so many directors. I think my answer would be David Cronenberg. Oh God, I still like get upset that A History of Violence could not break through that year for him. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is a movie that gets better every time I think about it. It's my favorite film of that year, uh, by far. Okay, this person <sighs> nominated in screenplay but did not win. So hopefully they count. Nancy Myers. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Next question. <sighs> Richard Houlihan asks, do you guys ever read the Hollywood Reporter's brutally honest Oscar ballots? And what's the dumbest one that you read that made you think, how is this person even allowed to judge art? Uh, they're all so dumb. Oh, yeah, Can I just be very, very clear? Those are designed to intentionally get a rise out of people. And not every Oscar voter is like that. Yeah, they are the equivalent of talking to the Trump voter at a diner. I mean, think (laughs) about how many voters they probably do talk to and how many actually give well-reasoned answers that they're not the ones that they put in the article. So I think I think it's a little that doesn't get you the clicks. Yeah, I think it's a little unfair. Yeah, it's, it's like talking to voters who didn't vote for Hillary because. It was just something about her I didn't like. Mm. There's a lot of that going on in these kinds of articles. Yeah. Last one, and then we'll call it a day. Ethan May. Oh, the return of Ethan May. He's back. Choose what movie the actor, filmmaker, should have won an Oscar for, but you were knowingly replacing the winner of that year. First up, Stanley Kubrick. Now, want to be very clear, Stanley Kubrick is an Oscar winner for visual effects. 
Want to make that very clear. Yeah, but I think the question is basically being like, pretend like you're just not recognizing the visual effects Oscar. I mean, fair enough. (laughs) And in doing that, I would also still give him director for 2001. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, I would easily give him director for 2001. And I love Oliver, but 2001, that lineup should have won. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This one's a little bit tougher. Terrence Malick. Hmm. This is tougher because I usually don't really like Terrence Malick movies all that much. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I dare not take away Steven Spielberg's director win for Saving Private Ryan. So Finn, Finn Redline is out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, and not only I, that, but like, oh, I wait, wait. give him screenplay. For Easy. Uh, it just came to me. Easy answer. Director for Tree of Life over Michelle Hazen yeah, of Anavicius. And I, I love the artist, but come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I had the to, thing is, I would say that. Yeah. Imagine how much different Michelle Hesnavicius' career would have been without that Oscar. Completely <laughs> 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 different. Oh, oh. You've been chasing that Oscar ever since. <laughs> oh, man. That was good, Michael. <laughs> Michael doesn't get me to laugh out loud that hard. Usually I get chuckles from Michael. That was excellent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was great. <laughs> Next one up Sigourney Weaver. Oh. Working girl. Yeah, working girl. No, I. Sorry, Miss Davis. Yeah, I can't even do that. <sighs> like she's not even. Well, not even what? You know, I mean, she's it's... not even the best in that movie. Like no. I no. Don't you Everybody's so good in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great movie. film. And like, and honestly, like, if we're looking at that category, I'd give it to Michelle Pfeiffer. That's who I'd give it to. I'm going with Working Girl because I I, I, I mean, listen, her nomination for Aliens is freaking awesome. But Marlee Matlin for Children of a Lesser God. I mean, come on. No, I'd still give it to her for Aliens, I think. Really? I think I would. I think I would. I look, I think that there is as much good as bad in that performance. Like, it's hard to take it away from her because it's a huge achievement. But at the same time, dude. Ripley. <laughs> what about uh, the Ice Storm? Ooh, uh, ooh, 1997. That would be over Kim Basinger for uh, LA she Confidential. Would better. She has a part. She would have been supporting that year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she would have been. Yeah. yeah, she won the BAFTA for yeah. supporting. Yeah, fine. Yeah, I, I could go with either that or Working Girl. Yeah, I like Kim Basinger and LA Confidential, but yeah, she's pretty great in the Ice Storm too. Oh. All right, this one's an easy one for me, but uh, I'd, I'd be very curious to hear uh, certain people's answers here. Uh, Diane Warren. <laughs> oh, easy, easy, easy. Don't want to miss a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's taking it away from what? Prince of Egypt? Yeah. Yeah, it's taking it away from Prince of Egypt, which oh, is... Oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's a wonderful song. I, I can't. I do it like is, that song, and I like that movie, but I... bland, yeah. bland song. <laughs> I don't think it's that bland, but... Like, come on, you know, the Armageddon song, that's an instant classic. We're still singing yeah, that today. Seriously. I will give it to her in uh, 2015 for The Hunting Ground. Just oh. because it's not Spectre. That's <laughs> Sorry, right. Sam, oh, God, that was Sam Smith won that? Yep. Yes. Yeah, don't remind me. No, 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 no. I yeah. made history in the process, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I will not comment on that. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> if it, if I can't do it for I don't want to miss a thing, I easily can do it for Till It Happens to You. Easily. Yeah. 
that was just tragic when that happened. And I'm sorry, I know people like Sam Smith, but they had Joe Biden come to introduce Lady Gaga performing that song with the stage full of survivors. And then. Yeah, everybody in that room felt awful afterwards. You could just tell. (laughs) What's funny is that if you go back and actually watch the moment where they won, pause when they are about to announce the winner and then just watch Common's face. It just is like, oh, my God, (laughs) we're really about to do this. And and I will defend. I'll defend that song to a certain point. I do like it, but I also understand what people's issues are. And I think especially on that night, that is one of those things where if they were voting right after the performances, they would have given it to till it happens to you. You know, it would be very interesting if that was like a new thing that they introduced where they just handed ballots out to people early on in the evening after watching live the songs. And then they said, vote now. That would be incredible. <laughs> well, they literally could have done, couldn't have done it that year because that was the year that they decided they only wanted names and didn't let two of them play. Yeah. yeah. So let's not even get started on that one. That was upsetting. something else. Next next up <laughs> yeah. is Ridley Scott. Uh, Alien? Uh, that would be 1979. Uh, 79, yeah. That would be Kramer versus Kramer. But for me, that director win is reserved for Francis Ford Coppola, personally. I mean, I wouldn't have given it to him over Bob Fosse either, but we're just taking we're just talking about the winners. True, true. (laughs) Um, I I, I, listen, maybe I'll get chip at this. I don't know. But if Gladiator was always winning Best Picture, that to me felt like Ridley Scott's moment. And it kind of sucks that. Looking back and where he is at this point in his career, he has not had another moment like that. I can't take that away from Soderbergh. For I Trump. know. And that's why yeah, I have no way I could probably get shit for it. But I, I think that's the move I would make. See, I, I just See, wish we could I go would... back in time and make him a producer on Gladiator. Mm. Mm. No, I mean, he, he was he got one nomination as a producer for The Martian, I think. Yeah, um, I would give it to him for Blade Runner because I have no issue taking that away from Richard Attenborough for Gandhi. Oh, you know what? That's actually a good. Yeah. It, it does. It, it, it's amazing to me that Blade Runner was not even a cinematography nominee that year. Yeah, like it kind of blows my mind. Uh, but I don't I don't think the, I don't think the world knew what to make of that movie when it came out, obviously. No, I mean, the studio didn't know what to make of that movie. There's been how many cuts of that film since? Right. I'm still amazed that it didn't win art direction. Same. Fucking Gandhi. You know what? That's actually uh, all right. That's a that's a like an easier, less controversial one. But I'm still going to go with Gladiator. I don't care. I I mean, I like the Gladiator answer. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think it's a good one to pick. Yeah. All right. Ingmar Bergman. Oh, I mean, throw uh, a dart. Like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. Jesus. I mean, pick one. Now, he has for a foreign language, doesn't he? But he doesn't have it. goes to the country. That's yeah. right. It's the country. Yeah, no. Okay, well, and that's a very easy call for me. I'd give it to him for uh, probably screenplay for Fanny and Alexander. Oh, no. Wait, hold no, on. No, 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 Michael, you can't do that. Oh, we're only looking at Best Director. No, 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 it's not. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Um, oh, never mind, never mind. I Because I, I was like, Michael, you're screwing yourself over because then it would be taken away from Terms of Endearment. But then I'm like, no, wait a minute. It was um, over Tender Mercies. So you're, yeah. you're good. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to save you from yourself. Wait, no. <laughs> you eventually didn't say Director because I knew it would take it away from Milos Foreman for Amadeus. So, Fanny, uh, Michael, Fanny and Alexander is the Terms of Endearment year. It's not the Amadeus year. Oh, 
and forget that. <laughs> <laughs> however, however, your your screenplay uh, win makes sense because it would just be like I said over Tender Mercies. Okay, over Tender Mercies. Yes, then I'm good with that. He could have his screenplay Oscar. Uh, hmm. I am very I am very okay giving him director over George Roy Hill for this thing. Yeah, me too. I like the thing, but it's not Cries and Whispers. Last one. Paul Thomas Anderson. Hmm. Director for Can the movie Blood. Say... Over to Cohen's? <laughs> uh, yes, I would definitely take that. <sighs> that's a that's a Sophie's choice right there that I'm not prepared to make. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I like No Country for Old Men. I don't necessarily fall into the love it territory, and I am a huge Cohen's fan, but... Like, I, I don't get that much out of No Country, to be honest with you, whereas I think There Will Be Blood is, like, one of the greatest masterpieces ever made. So, for me, it is an easy call. I tend to like There Will Be Blood over No Country also. I can't do screenplay for Boogie Nights over Shakespeare in Love. I, w- I want to, but I can't. No, different year. That's 97. Oh, you're right. Uh, Google Hunting. hunting. Uh, well, I can't do that either. See, I love Paul Thomas Anderson, but the reason I can't give him a win is the same reason that the Academy hasn't given him a win yet, and that's because there's always something just above him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. There's, he's never been the best in any year. Uh, what about Magnolia over American Beauty for screenplay? Nope, can't do it. No. Nope. All right. Um, how about... I can't do screenplay for get over get out. I can't do that. Um, and Matt, you can't do inherent vice because I'm not going to do inherent <laughs> vice. Don't you worry. Nope. Uh, nope. And then the master, 2000 and 2000 and uh, my God, I can't I can't 12. think. 2012. Thank you. Uh oh, you know what? Maybe I can do something nope. there. Um. Uh, no, maybe I can't. Oh. I Ang Lee didn't need a second Oscar, but but did Tarantino need a second one for Django of all things? No, also no. You know what? That's easy for me. Um, I will. I I I I think I would give it to him for director for the master over Ang Lee. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? Yeah, I'd even do the screenplay over Django as well. On top of that, either one, I'll take either one. But uh, the master winning something is definitely my sweet spot right there for him. Because <laughs> I think I still think that's his best movie, personally speaking. But that was still bizarre that he didn't get the writing nomination and Flight did. Yeah. 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 It's very weird. And then it's bizarre that he didn't get the writing nomination for Phantom Thread. Yeah. Yeah. But what director. he did get, I'm not going to complain about. <laughs> no, no, no. Of course not. I just find it very funny how the writer's branch obviously loves him especially with that inherent vice nomination and the master and uh phantom thread uh weren't able to uh break through there yeah instead some movie i've never heard of got it quote three billboards outside <laughs> epping missouri anyone ever hear of it i did it's a good movie hmm. have to check it out <laughs> Alrighty, well that'll do it here for this week on the podcast michael uh where can i find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at m schwartz 95 josh parm I'm on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Tom O'Brien. And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 195 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FMA, Cast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time.